0: Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Well, Good morning, church. Great to be with you um, wherever you're watching church online. And really praying that this service um, has been a blessing to you so far. And how great it was it to actually um, join along with our worship team and Team, thank you so much for the way you so generously um, pour out. And I, I know for myself, I was just so blessed to be able to worship um, together. So, Well, today is Palm Sunday, and um, this is a really significant Sunday for us because it is the beginning of Holy Week. And as we step into the beginning of Holy Week, I just wanted to remind us about how important beginnings actually are. Um, If you went to a movie or if you put in a DVD or if you streamed a a movie and all of a sudden the words came up and certain music came up and the words that you read that said, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Well, we know what we're about to encounter. That's a certain type of movie. We understand that. When I was younger in high school, we read a number of books and studied them. And one of the books had the beginning. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And we understand that beginnings are important because they set a tone and they set a trajectory upon which we are um, set on a path of discovery. Well, when it comes to Holy Week, and in particular Palm Sunday, this is precisely what we read in Scripture. The beginning of this week is so informative and so important for us to understand, and it is a a beginning that is supposed to really shape our lives. And this beginning starts with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. I'm going to read from Matthew's account found in Matthew 21. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The Scripture will be on the screen. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with this colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, Tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground jesus was in the center of the procession and all the people around him were shouting praise god for the son of david blessings on the one who comes in the name of the lord praise god in highest heaven the entire city of jerusalem was up in an uproar as he entered who is this they asked the crowds replied it's jesus the prophet from nazareth in galilee now from this story, this triumphal entry of Jesus, I want to highlight two things. At the very beginning of Holy Week on Palm Sunday, two things about this triumphal entry. And these two things should shape our life. And, and, and the funny thing with beginnings and things that we read over and over again is that these two things may, ne- may may not be apparent to us or we may never have considered them before. But nevertheless, these are two things that are front and center in the Scripture. The first of these is a change in direction, a change in direction. We might even consider the adage, the winds of change, I'm sure we've heard that the winds of change. Verse 1 says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Now, in Mark and Luke's account of this very same moment, they say that as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, they came by the town of Bethage and Bethany Now, this little detail that is placed in Matthew, Mark and Luke's account is placed there on purpose. It's a detail that is significant and it means something. Now, for us living in Western Australia 2020, we can easily read past that. And indeed, I've read past that for a large part of of my Christian journey. But this is telling us something really significant. That Jesus, as he's coming to Jerusalem, and as he's coming to Jerusalem, understand he's also coming to the temple, but as he approaches Jerusalem, Jesus was approaching Jerusalem from the east. That's pretty significant. Now, for us, it may not seem apparently why that's significant, but understand for anyone who first read this document, understanding who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing, and for a first century Jew who is completely saturated and immersed in Israel's scriptures, this little detail would not have been lost on them. In fact, it would have conjured scriptures and, and memories and accounts of things in Israel's past and, and it would have brought that to the foreground. One of the most devastating scriptures in Israel was actually spoken by the prophet Ezekiel. Um, read this, Ezekiel 10, verse 18 to 19. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground. And as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. Let me ask you a question. What is it that makes the temple the temple? I mean, we understand, we can picture the temple as this huge, great, grand building. But the grandeur of a building doesn't make a temple. The, the furnishings inside of that building does not make it a temple. The treasure which is inside that building does not make it a temple. Even the fine linen inside of that temple, thats not what that building doesn't make it a temple. The one solitary thing that makes a temple a temple is the presence of God, the presence of Yahweh. And in this vision, Ezekiel is giving one of the most devastating um, visions that could ever have been fathomable. That in this moment, as Ezekiel is seeing this, that because of the corruption and the sin that's apparent in the temple, God has had enough. And because he's had enough, he has lifted his glory from the temple and his glory, his presence has now moved away. This is utterly devastating news. It's, it's something that is just so devastating for everyone to have read and seen because of the corruption. God's glory has departed. But understand and pay attention. God's glory has lifted and departed via the east gate. And we understand enough of God's character that when he actually says something of judgment, judgment also comes with hope. So the question is, if God's glory has departed, will it ever return again? And of course the answer is yes. Of course it is. We understand that. This side of the cross, looking back on Israel's scriptures, looking back on the, 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 the salvation history, the story of God, we can say, yes, emphatically, God's glory does return. It's returning. But have you ever considered from which direction God's glory would return? This is very, very interesting. Another vision Ezekiel has in Ezekiel 43, I'll read from verse 1 to 4, says this. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, And I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the Kiba River, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate, facing east. The glory of God, the glory of Yahweh, it will return to temple. Praise God. Amazing. But guess what? It's going to return from the east. God's glory had lifted and it left towards the east. And now as we read at the beginning of Holy Week, Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry of Jesus, we actually see the glory of Yahweh. Yahweh himself, he is approaching Jerusalem. And, and so approaching Jerusalem, he is approaching the temple and he is coming from the east. There's this change of direction. What does this mean? It means that this place, this intersection, this space where heaven and earth literally intersect, the place where heaven is literally on earth, this is now going to be reconstituted. You see, Holy Week tells us something really significant right at the beginning. The glory of God had departed and now the glory of God is returning. And as the glory of God departed departed to the east, now the glory of Yahweh Jesus himself is returning the temple from the east, the reconstitution of the temple, heaven and earth intersecting. This is incredible, incredible news. And Ezekiel, he had further visions. He had visions of of how when God comes back to his temple, he's going to rebuild another temple, another temple that's going to be built. And if you consider what is it that happens during Holy Week, during this Passion Week? Well, Jesus enters Jerusalem from the east. He goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple, thus declaring judgment on the temple. Very much, very similar to how Ezekiel did it himself. And then he says something which is so widespread that everyone knows about it. And it's so widespread that even as Jesus is hanging on the cross, it is used by a means to mock him while he's hanging on the cross. Mark 15 verse 29 to 30 says this, As Jesus is on the cross, he says, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their head and saying, so you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. Jesus did indeed say that he would destroy this temple and in three days, he'll build it again. Now understand the narrative, pay attention to the narrative now. This is really, really significant. The glory of God departs from the temple in the vision of Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a vision that the glory of God would then return from the east and that another temple would be built. Fast forward, Jesus approaches Jerusalem from the east. As he approaches the temple, he goes into the temple declaring judgment upon it. And he declares that he himself will destroy this temple and he will rebuild it in three days. Jesus is crucified, Jesus is dead for one day, two days, three days, and after that third day a new temple is built. And the temple, remember this, the temple is that place, is that space where heaven and earth intersect. See Jesus, the beginning of Holy Week, the triumphal entry of Jesus. The beginning of this week is telling us something very significant. That Jesus is the re-establishment of this heaven and earth space that has previously been ruptured because of sin in this world. And if you and I are found in Christ, the implications of this, oh, the implications are so, so profound. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 to 20 says this, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? There's that word temple. What does that mean? Heaven and earth intersecting. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, beginnings are so, so important. The beginning of Holy Week shows us Jesus, Yahweh, returning to Jerusalem. He's coming from the east. God has changed the direction. Direction's been changed. The winds have change, of change are now here. What was now a reality that is completely gone. We are now living in a new paradigm, in a new reality. This new temple has been rebuilt, has been reconstituted, the place where heaven and earth intersect. It is once again here, and you and I now get to live in that reality. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's something that was seen as Jesus starts coming to Jerusalem from the east, going from Bethage to Bethany, up the Mount of Olives, and he comes and he approaches Jerusalem. See, beginnings so, so important. So that's the first thing that's significant. Second thing is the cult of a donkey, the cult of a donkey. Let's read from verse two. Jesus said, go into the village over there, he said, as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Israel, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The second thing that the beginning of Holy Week shows us is the colt of a donkey. And this is really significant. And this really does shape our Christian life. All of this is happening at the time of Passover. Let's not forget that. Passover is a huge event. It's one of the three festivals, feasts that the Jewish people would make pilgrimage to come and it's estimated there's probably about half a million people in Jerusalem at the time. And because it's such a big event and because there are so many people, there is the possibility of unrest. Think about it. Passover is a celebration of remembrance of that time in history where God rescued his people from the grip of a dominating ruthless empire. Where do we find Israel now? Well, right now, celebrating this Passover, they are being dominated and terrorized by the most dominant empire in the known world at the time, the Roman Empire. They're absolutely ruthless. And you have all of these people in this one spot celebrating how God did this in the past. I mean, there is great possibility of unrest. And it's for this reason that we actually find that Pontius Pilate is in Jerusalem. The reason why he's in Jerusalem is just in case there is unrest. And because he's come for that for, for that point and that purpose, he has brought his military entourage with him, so that if any disturbance happened, if there was any um, unrest, he would just snuff it out with the power of Rome. So with Pilate and his powerful entourage in the city displaying the might of Rome. The very last thing that Israel's leaders needed or wanted at this particular point of time was any, any unrest or any disorder. There's a couple of other people who are in um, Jerusalem at this time as well. King Herod Antipas is there. Um, He is also in Jerusalem, king of the Jews, King Herod. And also Joseph ben Caiaphas the high priest, he is also in Jerusalem. So there is this heightened activity in Jerusalem and there are these powerful, powerful people. You have Pontius Pilate, you have Herod, you, you have Caiaphas. They are all in Jerusalem together. There is this great combination of power, of might, of people all mixing and mingling and this one time, half a million people all around where these people have come to celebrate the mighty act where God rescued his people from a ruthless empire. And with this in mind... You need to understand that the leaders did not want any unrest. In fact, listen to how Luke retells this very same event. It's found in Luke chapter 19, verse 36 to 40. As he rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of them. When they reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his disciples began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in highest. But some of the Pharisees, listen to this, but some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Very interesting. Up until this point, Jesus would silence any identification of him as Messiah, or of him as King. But you see, now is the moment as he comes to Jerusalem, as he comes to the temple. Now is the moment where Jesus is entering as the rightful King. And as he comes, he is entering and he is approaching his coronation service, which we will be celebrating this coming Friday, Good Friday. That is his coronation service. And Jesus enters the place where all of these powers, that will bring great resistance to him where they all are placed. Anyone who makes a messianic claim, they're going to resist, um, going to resist mightily. So there's King Herod. He um, represents royal power. He actually has the title of King of the Jews. I wonder what he's going to think when people start singing and rejoicing. He is the King of the Jews. I wonder what he thinks. Joseph, Ben Caiaphas, the high priest, this represents religious power. He has much to gain um, with Rome being in, uh, in power. He has much to gain. Um, he has a lot to gain. And then there's Pontius Pilate, who represents imperial or political power, the Roman governor. And with all of these three powers waiting in Jerusalem, Jesus, the king, approaches now understand this, if this was another king, if this was an earthly king, you would anticipate and probably expect that, that as a king is approaching a city to come to a coronation service where he is going to be rightfully crowned king, that in his wake, that there would be devastation. You're either with me or against me. If you're not with me, I'm going to kill you. And if you're with me, come follow. But understand there's a difference between an earthly king and this King Jesus because in his wake as he's traveling from village to village as he is approaching Jerusalem as he's coming to temple as he is approaching his coronation service he's not leaving destruction he is not leaving devastation in his wake what he is leaving is healing deliverance in his wake the kingdom of God is being left in his wake people are being made whole community is being resettled like human flourishing is happening the defacement of humanity is being erased as Jesus approaches his coronation service service which we'll be celebrating this coming Friday but as Jesus comes to Jerusalem there is this great juxtaposition in play a great irony in play that we simply must pay attention to as followers of Jesus Christ living in this current world you see at this very moment Pilate is also entering Jerusalem but he's coming from the west And as great rulers did back in those days, he is riding on a great war horse, an Arabian war horse. He would have been mighty. And he is with his entourage, with his military might around him. It is on display. And as um, Pontius Pilate enters Jerusalem from the west, Jesus is coming from the east, isn't he? He's coming from the east, as we've already discussed. Though more than this, he's riding not even on the donkey. He's riding on the colt. Of a donkey. He's like riding on an undersized donkey. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says this Rejoice, O people of Zion, shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Have you ever heard the adage, Actions speak louder than words? Well, in antiquity, the manner in which a king approached the city that declared something so profound. Actions really did speak louder than words. Now understand the juxtaposition here. Herod comes from the west. Jesus comes from the east. Herod's on a war horse. Jesus is on the colt of a donkey. Herod's actions make a declaration, which everyone would have known. The declaration was war. War. Jesus' actions and riding on a humble colt of a donkey made a declaration Again, which would not have been lost on any person in Jerusalem on that day. Jesus' actions as a Davidic king declared peace. If you're a king coming into a city, if you're going to declare war, you ride on a war horse. If you're a king approaching a city and you want to declare peace, you ride on a donkey. Everyone knew that. So how does Yahweh return to Jerusalem? With humility and simplicity. Is he the Davidic king? Absolutely, he is. 100%. But does he fight like David? No, he doesn't. That's the difference right there. And the remainder of Holy Week, as it unfolds, as we will hopefully read in this coming week, in your own personal time, I really encourage you to do that. As the remainder of Holy Week unfolds, we see how this king, this Davidic king, our Davidic king, comes to fight. He allows the powers of this world to overwhelm him. He takes it upon himself. He takes all the evil, all the death and pain of this world and it is swallowed up in one succinct sentence that is spoken at the most profound moment in history. That one sentence is this, Father, forgive them. You see, death, evil, the raging powers of our world are swallowed up in divine forgiveness. And this message, this one sentence, should shape our life. Father, forgive them. In a place where heaven and earth intersect, we find healing, wholeness, grace, peace, and it is all made available by divine forgiveness. So at the very beginning of Holy Week on this Palm Sunday, let me ask a question. I'm asking you, I'm also asking myself. What are we holding on to today as we begin Holy Week? What unforgiveness, what bitterness has made its way into our heart. At the beginning of Holy Week, we find a Savior, our God, entering Jerusalem from the east. There's a change in direction. Well, on this Palm Sunday in 2020, are there certain mindsets? Are there certain attitudes? Are there certain thoughts? that There needs to be a change of direction. Maybe for days, weeks, months, possibly even years, maybe even decades, there has been unforgiveness, there's been bitterness, there have been certain ways of thinking that have been heading in a certain direction. And as Yahweh changes direction on the very beginning of um, Holy Week, maybe those things in our life, maybe there needs to be a change of direction today as well. I wonder if that would apply to you. Um, It certainly does apply to me in some ways. It applies to all of us, doesn't it? And at the beginning of Holy Week, we find Jesus, our God, riding on an undersized donkey, the cult of a donkey. Jesus comes with simplicity and humility, and he lets us know that this is the way of our God, humility and simplicity. That, that, that one sentence, Father, forgive them, should shape our entire life, should shape the narrative of our life and should be the thing that enables us to be engrafted into God's grand salvation history narrative as his people, as followers of Jesus Christ. So as we step into Palm Sunday on this Palm Sunday 2020, can I once again remind us and allow us to consider and reconsider that beginnings are so important. And the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem gives us two significant beginnings that we simply need to consider and engraft and allow these things to shape our life as we progress into 2020 and beyond. Let me pray for you um, before we leave the service. Father, we thank you again for your word. And as we come to the beginning of Holy Week, I ask that this year in 2020, as different as it is, that the story, the Easter story, that it would shape us in ways that has never shaped us before. Holy Spirit, would you come and bring into remembrance the thing we've, that we've spoken about today? As we open up Holy Scripture, Lord, would you, um, we, we, would you shape us and mould us? Would you challenge us? Would you encourage us? Would you convict us in the places where we need to see change, Lord? And as we come to um, Easter Sunday this week, Lord. May there be praise on our lips. May there be rejoicing in our hearts, knowing that our God is God, that we are part of an unshakable kingdom, that you reign and we are yours and you are ours and we will be with you forever. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our beautiful Savior. Amen.